Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome back to a special two-hour edition of Prime Time. I'm feeling good. This is a good test uh, of how strong my body has gotten. So thanks for being here with me to test it all out. Uh, now, let's talk about the sober reality. As of tonight, at least 700,000 people in this country have been infected by coronavirus. I say at least because we're playing catch-up. We don't know because we've inefficiently tested. Testing is everything. It's the key to where we are right now. It is certainly the key to getting anywhere back to near normal. Now, the grave toll, California, 1,000 lives lost. They passed that mark today. Yesterday set a new single day record for reported deaths in that state. So the situation is very grave. And yet this president has decided to fuel the fire of protesters who've decided to risk their safety and yours, by the way, if you live in their states, because they're not happy about being told to stay home. Staying home saves lives. Here's the story from Nick Watt. Huntington Beach, California, a protest march complete with Trump 2020 flags. Similar scenes also other parts of the country. They're calling for the country to open up again. Jacksonville, Florida, they just reopened the beaches. The crowds came immediately. Many completely ignoring the social distancing guidelines that are still supposed to be in place. Folks, this can be the beginning of the pathway back to normal life. But please respect and follow these limitations. In Texas, state parks will open Monday. A week from now, stores can open for pickup only. But school classrooms are closed for the remainder of the 2019-2020 school year. Governors, not the president, will be calling the shots. We must get this right because the stakes are very high. Some saying we're just not there yet. The fact of the matter is it's better to be six feet apart right now than six feet under. And that is the whole point of this. We've got to save lives. Every life matters. There were also protests against stay-home orders in Michigan. And today, the president tweeted, liberate Michigan. No, but I think elements of what they've done are too much. You have to develop a testing capacity that does not now exist. We cannot do it without federal help. Our best scientists and health experts assess that states today have enough tests to implement the criteria of phase one if they choose to do so. Reopening will be regional. Opening some states and not others, it's a little bit like, you know, as somebody said to me, it's a little bit like having a ping section in the swimming pool. Some neighboring states are coordinating a new block just formed in the middle of the country. And let's not forget, there are still thousands of healthcare workers on the front lines. We have a lot of sick patients, uh, multi-organ failure. Still so many lives in the balance. And this patient uh, here, it's a pregnant patient who is... Uh, Unfortunately, at the verge of being intubated, uh, we're trying to save her. There's so many people in such tough spots. Our thanks to Nick Watt for reporting. Now, look, I don't know how what the vice president said can be true. Why would the governors lie, Democrat and Republican? Why would they not want testing capacity? Why would they not want to reopen? They're feeling the same political strain Trump is. They're just handling it differently, more responsibly. I would argue. Now, let's bring in one of the leading doctors who helped defeat 
smallpox. Why? Because it's important to understand what worked then and what we need to see now. Dr. Larry Brilliant. How's that for a good name? Uh, Very good to have you, doctor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. I hope you're feeling better. You know what? I am. But I have to tell you a little bit of a digression. I don't understand what the heck is going on with my own case. You know, I meet the CDC guidelines. I have 72 hours fever free, which they say is like anything lower than 92 low point, 92 to 92. But my normal temperature is 97 something. So I am not back to baseline. So then they say to me something, you know, Dr. Brilliant, but many of us don't who have COVID and who don't. Oh, no, no, no. You don't just get better. There's a recovery phase. You've just finished a fight. Your body is beat up. You may have low grade fever. You will have respiratory distress. You cannot just go back to the gym. This will take weeks they're seeing in the research out of China. Shouldn't people be aware of this? They should, Chris. And, you know, this is a novel virus, which means it's only four months old. It's like a baby. It can't can't walk yet. We know so little about it. We're finding a lot of people who have blood in their urine because the virus affects their kidneys. People who have the heart uh, harmed by the virus, sudden heart disease. We know about loss of smell and taste means the olfactory nerve is affected. Some people have diarrhea. It's not just a respiratory disease in the sense of a flu. It is a respiratory disease like smallpox was. It's spread by respiration, but it affects the whole body. Uh, One other question, and then we'll get into the analogy of what you learned uh, from smallpox and what you think we should be seeing uh, now. And uh, the the question is about the the state of play uh, that we're having. I'm sure that you've been hearing anecdotally. I got beat up in the media and that, that's OK. You know, the media likes to police itself and it likes to say, you know, things are baseless. Have you had people tell you, Doc, I think I had this. I was never tested, but I had this crazy flu and I couldn't breathe and I had a week of fever. And but this was back around Thanksgiving. I've had dozens and dozens of people around this country tell me exactly that. Now, look, they could all be wrong. They could have had something else. But man, does it sound eerily familiar, Doc. And and they had a terrible cough and it lasts for three weeks and it didn't quite feel right to be a flu or a URI. My wife had it and so many of our friends had it. And we kind of at the time, we wrote it off to bronchitis. I, I do wonder now, especially with the data that's coming in, uh, from the, the s- South Bay of California, where they're, they're finding when they do proper testing that the actual number of cases can be 10, 20, 30 times more. Yeah. So from smallpox, what did you learn that you don't see being applied today? Well, the most important thing we learned in smallpox was early detection, early response. Find every case and then double down on the case and the area around it, three miles around it, 200 contacts. We had a vaccine. But we have something almost as effective as a vaccine, although it's shorter lasting, and that's quarantine. If we found every case by testing and testing and testing, did contact tracing with the enthusiasm that I know this country can muster, and then quarantined only the ones who were at risk, who had the disease or were in contact, then we could begin to talk about opening up parts of the country. Until we do that, we're fighting a losing battle. 
I don't want to bathe you in the politics, so let's end it there. Dr. Larry Brilliant, thank you for telling us what worked on smallpox and that testing, identification, tracing is everything now once again. Thank you for your perspective. Stay in good health. I look forward to speaking to you again. All right. Thank now, you, Chris. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. One of the things we're learning about COVID, it's the equal opportunity virus, right? Rich, poor, brown, white, male, female, whatever, it gets you. However, many of us, millions of us, are at greater risk of having this hit them and hit them hard if they are minorities. Why? Let's discuss with Van Jones. He and Don Lemon are doing a great special tomorrow night on the color of COVID. Let's talk about the reality that's happening right now that's not getting enough attention. And boy, will it explode if we reopen the wrong way. Next time. A lot of you online are saying, yeah, I feel the same way. They say I'm over it, but I'm still sick. Yeah, I know, because they don't tell us about this recovery thing. We're still learning. We all have to learn together. As I go through it, I'll give you the information. If it helps you avoid some of the confusion, great. You guys are helping me as well. Now, here's something else that we have to learn about. We're not all getting hit equally here. Black Americans are twice as likely to know someone who's died or been hospitalized because of COVID. All right. In New York City. African-Americans are dying at twice the rate of whites. Come on. I mean, we know what this is about, all right? We know what we're doing once again. Let's discuss the problem and what we should be doing. Van Jones is co-hosting a new CNN special to look at the victims uh, behind the data, the color of COVID, tomorrow night, 10 p.m. with Don Lemon. My brother, I love you. It's great to see you. I hope your family is well. I'm not going to state it as some BS rhetorical question. We know why African-Americans are getting hit. They don't have access to health care. They've got more underlying conditions because they don't get the right access to food. Uh, And they have density issues and they have general health protocol issues. And there's a laxity in getting them the health services they need. So we know the problems. The question is, how is it playing out now in real time and is it being addressed? Well, I I think, you know, because because of you and others, the alarm is finally being sounded. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your consistency on this and your clarity on it. Um, The reality is. Uh, we initially were hearing that this was going to be a disease impacting old people, um, you know, people who went to Asia and stuff like that. A lot of African-Americans said, well, that's not me. I'm 35. I'm 45. I'm 25. I'm going to be fine. What we didn't understand was that uh, high blood pressure, which is an epidemic in the black community, is really linked to, to dying uh, with this thing. Uh, and so uh, suddenly, when they say, oh, well, you know, underlying health conditions, underlying health conditions, turns out that has been fatal for the African-American community. And so uh, we should now be rushing masks, uh, tests, uh, ventilators, respirators to the black community, to the brown community. I'm not playing the race card. I'm playing the data card. Those are now the hot spots, And you should be rushing the test to the hot spots because what you know now is that you got a community, African-Americans, Latinos, and others that are especially at risk for dying, more likely to get the virus because you know we have the jobs on the front lines, we're the essential workers, uh, less likely to have insurance and healthcare, more likely to have the underlying conditions. In a situation like that, there should be an emergency response to rush masks and tests, ventilators, respirators to our communities. We're not seeing that yet, but it's gotta happen. Yeah, and don't run this BS to Van or me uh, about, well, that's on them. 
Uh, that's bad habits and it's bad culture and it's endemic. No, it isn't. Okay. It's about diet and underlying health care and systemic neglect of the communities. It's about poverty. Okay. And when you adjust for poverty, you see that problems with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and blood pressure run brown and white. It's more about poverty than it is anything else. Now, Van, what happens when, when and if, let's, let's hope it's with, if more than when, we reopen but don't have the testing, don't have the prophylaxis in place, and we still don't have the capacity in the density areas, what will we see in these communities? A massive death sentence for people of color. There's just no other way to talk about that. Um, You cannot just reopen this thing. The reason that you have everybody sheltering in place is to buy us time, to buy us time to get the testing in place, to buy us time to to get the ventilators, the respirators, to get more hospital beds, to buy us time for a vaccine long, long term. But if you don't have the tests in place and you just throw the doors open, guess what? People walk back outside. They're going to get hit with this thing, and we're going to be right back where we were and possibly worse because now you have a lot of uh, healthcare providers that have been knocked out themselves. It is the most irresponsible thing to say we're just going to throw the doors open. We need to test people. In, in Hong Kong, in, in South Korea, they tested everybody. And when you test, then you know. When you know, you can say, you two stay indoors, you five can go outdoors, and it works. If you're just going to guess and then giggle and hope it works out. This is lethal stuff. This is lethal stuff for a whole community of people that cannot afford another round of this. We are already the ones that are dying in record numbers. And you know where the least testing is right now? And you know where the least access is to testing right now? In those communities. I got to tell you, you didn't mean it this way, but over your right shoulder right now, Nelson Mandela is staring at us. Look over your right shoulder. And he is not Look, he is given the exact face he would give if he were to have heard that the president of the United States, in the midst of what we're talking about, is telling people, waving all their Trump stuff. And let's be honest, it ain't no coincidence that it's the Trumpers who are out there in these states saying, I've had enough with the stay home. And he's telling them to liberate their states. How dangerous is it, Van, for the president who says he wants to heal to play the heel and get people angry at the only thing that's flattening the curve? Listen, I, I, I would appeal to the president. I would appeal to, to every leader in the country. Uh, this is the one time we have to be data driven. Um, it's very easy to be ideologically driven. It's very easy to be politically driven. When you've got the, when you've got the lives in your hands, if you're a governor over a state, uh, if, you're, if you're the president of the United States, if you're a mayor, if you're a sheriff, you have people's lives in your hand. And a wrong decision you literally have the difference between you know, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people dying. I would appeal to every leader, including the president, please, please listen to the public health people. And, and, and people gotta tell you, you gotta open this thing up because of the economy. Here's what we don't seem to have, we have not gotten this through our heads yet. You can't, I, nobody wants to go back to work more than black folk. Nobody wants to go back to work safely than black folk, brown folk, poor folk. It's decimating people from an economic point of view. But we, we have to use the time to get the test. Nobody wants us to last. The minute that we've got the test in place, then we can do this. So rather than prematurely pushing us back out there, we're going to get sick again. We're going to be right back here again. But at the cost of tens of thousands of lives, give us the use this time well to get the test in place and then open the economy. Test first, 
then have us, uh, you know, uh, take the risk. Don't have us take the risk when we don't have the data and we don't have the test. Yeah. If you want to yell about liberating something, liberate the factories and get them making the swabs and making the reagent and doing the things that they did. They did a hell of a lot more expansive work back during World War II. You know, people making vacuums. All of a sudden they were making machine guns and airplanes. They can make this leap. He hasn't pulled that trigger. Instead, he's pandering. And he's playing to a negative politics that'll just get us more sick. Van Jones, thank you for helping us. If anybody acts, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Tomorrow tomorrow night at 10 uh, o'clock, I I hope everybody comes back around this campfire. You got to be shocked at some of the voices from from black America and brown America, some of the most famous people in the world coming around the CNN campfire to talk about this in an even deeper way. And I believe anybody who watches that will come to the right conclusion about what to do as leaders. Van Jones, if anybody acts as if they have Mandela on their shoulder, it is you. And tonight, you actually do have him looking over your shoulder. Tomorrow, Van Jones, D. Lemon, the color of COVID, 10 p.m. Eastern. Let's be honest, you're going to be home. You might as well watch here on CNN. All right. Three of the best known TV doctors, and one isn't even an MD. (laughs) But what have they been saying? Crazy stuff on state TV, man. Crazy, dangerous, ugly stuff. Who's giving them the runway? Who wants to push an agenda that they help? We're going to talk about it. Why would good people say such bad things? Next. Why do we call Fox News state TV? This is why. Bringing on celebrity doctors who make absurd claims to nodding heads. Listen. The entire problem we're having is due to panic, not the virus. It's mild and the press needs to shut up. I just saw a nice piece in the Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us two to three percent in terms of total mortality. Uh, It might be a trade off some folks would consider. Forty five thousand people a year die from automobile accidents, four hundred and eighty thousand from cigarettes, three hundred sixty thousand a year from swimming pools. But we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this. Yeah, because I'm not going to make you break your neck if I break mine in a swimming pool. The record shows us what? Look, they've all backtracked. Why? Because they got busted. And it's a ridiculous thing to defend. Dr. Drew uh, earlier this month apologized for downplaying the threat. But he's not the only one who does it. They're encouraged to do it on that channel. It's still on him. But that's the message they want out there. Dr. Oz now says he misspoke when he talked about reopening schools. And the latest apology today comes from Dr. Phil, who's not a medical doctor, by the way, so he shouldn't be talking about this stuff anyway. And he acknowledges that none of his examples were contagious causes of death, which is, of course, the key. And he knew that. He knew it was compelling BS. Why did they do it? That's the discussion for us to have right now with Oliver Darcy, who's done a lot of the reporting on this. Look, I argue the answer is as simple as where they said it, Oliver. This is what Fox is about. They want the message out there that this isn't that big a deal. And that's how you get to protest like we saw today. It's no irony that they're Trump folk waving Trump paraphernalia and that they are encouraged by far right groups. What's your analysis? Right. Well, one, you know, I would be alarmed if 
a member of my family were sharing this kind of misinformation and to hear mm. health professionals going on national television during a pandemic and sharing this kind of, you know, frankly, dangerous information to millions of viewers is just, you know, frankly, nuts. Um, but to, to your point, you know, I don't know why these medical professionals are, are saying this on Fox, but what I can tell you is it has always supported Fox's general message or editorial uh, viewpoint about the coronavirus. So if you look at it early on, they were trying to downplay the threat, blame media hysteria. So they brought Dr. Drew on, who delivered that message from a you know someone with a medical degree. Then you know when they took it seriously and they were hyping hydroxychloroquine to uh, as a potential treatment, they bring on Dr. Oz and he and he does that. And now that they're pushing for uh, reopening the country and, and suggesting that maybe that um, the, the it wasn't even prudent to shut down the country. Uh, they're bringing on Dr. Phil, who's delivering a message like that. Um, you know, it's it's dangerous when Fox elevates a lot of these voices uh, during regular news cycles, but when they're doing it during a pandemic, that that just adds a whole dangerous element to this, Chris. It's always dangerous. It's always politics. It's always an agenda. Now, look, I don't get in the tit for tat game uh, with other anchors. Why? Frankly. Um, the bosses don't like it at CNN. They want us to stick to the news, as you know. And also, it's just not edifying to the audience. They don't really give a damn if I'm in a spat with Tucker Carlson or whoever it is. But I do want to play this clip of Laura Ingram because I've known her a long time and I respect her intelligence. This is a Supreme Court clerk. She's a smart lady who's making a dumb argument on purpose. And look at what Tony Fauci had to do. Here's a clip. We don't have a vaccine for SARS. I mean, they got close in, in mice. We don't have a vaccine for HIV, um, and life did go on, right? Well, no, but Laura, th this is different. HIV-AIDS is entirely different. We don't have a vaccine for HIV-AIDS, but we have spectacularly effective treatment. SARS disappeared, and we didn't need to develop a vaccine for SARS. So I think it's, it's a little bit uh, misleading maybe right. to compare uh, what we're going through now with HIV or SARS. They're really different. All right. Uh, side note, White House shouldn't be putting Tony Fauci in that situation. You know, they put him on state TV. You know what I mean? The White House decides where these guys go on from the task force. They put him on there because he's a big one. And then they have him defending this kind of BS on there. Laura Ingram knows those answers. Oliver, you know them. I know them. Why? You did 15 minutes of homework. So she's intentionally representing something she wants to be true. And that's just the reality of what they're doing there. I mean, what am I missing? I don't think you're missing anything. You know, I, I felt like like Fauci was actually quite generous when he answered that question. It does not take an infectious disease expert to know that HIV and coronavirus are totally separate things. Right, Chris? You can't get HIV just going on a regular run to the grocery store. You can get coronavirus very easily. It's, it's very contagious. And it doesn't take an infectious disease expert to know this. Someone who's on Fox News Again, talking to millions of viewers every night should do her homework. This is a basic fact. It's embarrassing, frankly, that she did not know this or that she's asking a question like that while knowing that it's not related. I, I don't know what's going on over there. Um, I, I don't know why, uh, if you look at her tweets today, she's comparing you know, living under the stay-at-home orders to living under Saddam Hussein in Iraq. It's just Gee, I wonder frankly, why. I, I wonder why. Who's been saying that he's against the stay-at-home orders all of a sudden? The great healer. 
President Trump is telling people to liberate states from stay at home orders. And he's throwing a Second Amendment in there, too, for a little bit more red meat. That's why they're doing it, Oliver. I mean, it's just so painfully obvious. I just hope it's worth it to him on some level. What I want to know, boy, is it destructive. Chris, Go ahead, Oliver. What I want to know, Chris, is, is where are the Fox News tips, right? We hear all this uh, noise about Fox News um, taking this virus seriously. They put out a whole bunch of public service announcements featuring their anchors. Mm. But where yeah. are the executives like Suzanne Scott or even Lachlan Murdoch when one of their anchors is, again, saying or suggesting that staying at home is equivalent to living under Saddam Hussein and asking when we're going to liberate states. Where are they? Mm, Quiet, apparently. Oliver Darcy, thank you for being loud and proud about this. We've got to expose it. Everything's different now in the pandemic age. Everything should be reassessed. All the agendas should be laid bare and the media should be reappraised as well. Thank you for doing it with me tonight, brother. Be well, be healthy. Thank you, Chris. All right. Look, I keep bringing us back whenever I can to the military. Why? Uniquely vulnerable. And again, they play on one of the things that just drives me crazy in this society. We all say we love our troops, but we keep hanging them out to dry. VA hospitals are hurting for supplies. Why? When they are supposed to be our priority and 13 million of them are over 55 years of age and so many have underlying conditions, they're vulnerable. A friend to all veterans, P.J. Rykoff, is going to sound the alarm for us because once again, we're falling short. Next. We support the troops, right? But they deserve the best of everything, right? Then how come they never get it? How about this number? Deaths among VA patients jumped five-fold since the start of this month. Unemployment? higher than we've seen in years for veterans. The toll on veterans, not getting a lot of attention, is it? Let's change that right now. You know who's been tracking this in real time and encouraging people like me to open our mouths about it? Iraq War Vet PJ Rykoff, amazing podcast called The Angry American. Welcome back to primetime. PJ says, if you ain't angry, it's because you're not paying attention. And this issue falls right in that category. Brother, Best to you, the wife, the kids, that you stay healthy because we need you. What's the reality of what's happening with our veterans? Well, first off, good to see you, man. Glad to see you're on the mend and wishing you and Christina the best. And uh, you and your brother continue to really drive some important leadership here and inspire the country. So thank you for that. The bottom line is is the VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, was not ready. Uh, They said they were ready. They put out public statements saying they were ready, and they're not ready. They They say there's enough PPE for frontline workers and frontline workers across the country are saying there's not. Now frontline workers in Brooklyn and Atlanta are protesting. So either the frontline workers were lying or the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Wilkie, was lying. And the Wall Street Journal revealed today that internal memos that he saw said that they didn't have enough. So they haven't had enough. They haven't been ready. And you mentioned it. 5x increase in the number of veterans that have died. And they've only tested about 50,000 people since this all began. Your brother in New York tests more than that in two days. So they haven't been ready. They're not ready. They're not being honest and they're not being transparent. And the entire country should be angry about that. Weeks ago, you were saying on Twitter, where's Wilkie? Where's Wilkie? They're concerns about this. They just turned down money for the VA. They said they've got enough. First of all, who turns down money? Um, And that he hadn't been out in front. And now we're seeing why. And the vulnerability 
goes on what we're seeing right now. 13 million veterans are above 55 years of age, and many have underlying complications, and that makes them vulnerable to this. Yeah, more than half of the 9 million veterans that are served by VA are over 65. And now we're starting to see them get hit really hard. One state-run veterans home in Holyoke, Massachusetts, has 56 dead. 56 dead in one veterans uh, home in, in one city. And now they're breaking out in 16 other states around the country. And Secretary Wilkie can't even be bothered to do daily press briefings. He's been invisible in, in the national media. He hasn't been driving support down to the local level. He probably won't come on with you. So that's why we've been using the hashtag, where is Wilkie? It's not just about him not doing media or not being out in public. It's about him not leading. He needs to lead strongly. He needs to lead aggressively. He needs to be transparent. Why have they only tested 50,000 people in the Veterans Department since this began? And another important point, Chris, they're not even disclosing how many veteran uh, VA employees are dead. They won't even tell you how many of their employees have died. The Department of Defense can tell you how many people died on one single aircraft carrier, but the VA can't tell you how many have died across the entire national system. Uh, Can't or won't becomes the question. And what will give us the answer to that is pressure. Uh, The kind that P.J. Rykoff, uh, a celebrated veteran who serves this country day in, day out, just like he did overseas. Thank you for sounding the alarm here and elsewhere. We will respond to the call. P.J., bless you and thank you. Thank you, brother. Get well soon. We appreciate you. Thank you. And remember who we're talking about here. These are the archetypal Americans. Okay. Uh, Another example, helping veterans in need. Wounded Warrior Project. So many of you, God love you. You want to help right now. You want to step up. Donate to the Wounded Warrior Project. They're helping families who have trouble buying food and paying rent right now. And there are many, many veteran families that are doing that. They're committing $10 million to the project. They'll be reaching out to vets in their database. And those who need it can apply for $1,000 grants. Okay, so if you want to help, There's a place you can help, Wounded Warriors, all right? Nearly 800 cases of COVID-19 now among workers in that pork factory in South Dakota. Remember, we spoke to the mayor uh, from there. Uh, This crisis also reaches into the fields. Why? Density of labor. They don't have insurance. They don't have help. A lot of them aren't legal. What does this mean for them and for your food? First-hand view next. So while most Americans are staying inside or should be right, if they're not out protesting like fools, more than two million farm workers are still out in the fields, the orchards, the packing plants. Why? Because we need food, right? They're essential workers. But how about this combination? A lot of people working in tight confines, but no access to health care or inadequate access and inadequate protective resources. What kind of combination do you think that is? Greg Asbet is the co-founder of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. Immokalee is the town. Gerardo Reyes Chavez is also a leader in that group. And we welcome them both now. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Chris, for having us. So, Greg, what's the concern? Well, Immokalee is a town of 25,000, 30,000 farm workers who... uh, are right in the crosshairs of this virus. Now, it hasn't set a, a foothold in Immokalee yet, but it's coming. We now have some 20-plus cases in town, and that's really just the tip of the iceberg because the testing has been so inadequate. But what we're afraid of is the fact that the conditions in Immokalee are ideal 
for the spread of this virus. They, you know, people live in overcrowded housing with 10 to 12 people in a single wine trailer. They go to work in vans and, and buses where they're cramped 15 people in a van or 50 people in a, in a bus. They work in, in sometimes very unsanitary conditions and they get home and you know, they, have, they have to line up for taking a shower and cooking in the same, the same cramped bathroom in the same tiny kitchen. Those conditions, you know, we, we've been watching your story, Chris, and, and we know how much you try not to have your family be infected with, with the virus. And, and you have all the conditions in the world that could help make that not happen. Now, imagine being in a trailer with 15 other guys, whether you sleep four people and you sleep head to foot, beds arranged on the floor or next to each other. It's impossible that when one person gets that, that virus, the rest don't immediately get the same thing. And that's what we're afraid no, of. I hear you. And my wife slope is just going to be she so steep. Gloves. She did everything she could. Uh, and she still got sick. It's another reason I'm still in the basement. Uh, she's upstairs sick and nobody's happy that mom got sick and everybody blames me. Gerardo, let me ask you something. <laughs> what do you think the awareness is of uh, this situation at the state government level in Florida? Well, I think that they know uh, they know that there is a problem, but they have chosen to look the other way. And, and that is precisely why, uh, you know, we sent a letter to the governor asking him to to take uh, uh, steps uh, towards the uh, creation of a field hospital. Uh, we're asking for that because in our community, you know, as Greg was mentioning, the, the problem is not just uh, the, the lack of uh, distancing. We, we cannot do something like that. We need to be able to treat people and we don't even have a hospital in town. We have a little clinic. The closest hospital is about 40 minutes away and uh, we need Has to be able to, to respond to that. Uh, no, our uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, people joining in, asking the governor uh, uh, and supporting this uh, uh, letter that we sent. Uh, more than 200 uh, different organizations have asked the same thing. More than 30,000 people are asking him to, to use his leadership and, and start working, responding to this uh, right away because we don't have time to waste. You know, we, we can see how this is already happening in other places in the country in, in regards to the, the food right. supply chain. Oh, uh, sure. We were talking South one. Dakota. We were talking to the mayor. Mm -hmm. You know, you got people packed in tight, tight living conditions. Uh, the yeah. job yeah, requires yeah. proximity because uh, they're maximizing space all the time, right? And then you get it. Let me ask you something, Greg. Uh, please, I hope you can shoot this down. Uh, the idea that, well, why wouldn't the state government respond to something that's a powder keg like this? Uh, do you believe there is an aspect of politics uh, of documented and undocumented at play here? Well, we know the virus doesn't discriminate. We know that the virus will take everybody that. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 if there is some sort of I don't, I don't care if it's politics about people's status or politics about people's party. Whatever it might be, it's, it's just not the right time to be playing politics. It makes no sense. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about a delay so far in, in weeks since we've been asking the, the state to pay attention to this, this powder keg in Immokalee, that the, the cost will be measured in human lives. And it doesn't, it, there is absolutely no way that anybody sitting in Tallahassee or, or here in Collier County can think that there are certain human lives that are worth less than others. That can't be. And I, won't, I refuse to believe that. Well, I agree with you uh, that we're supposed to be better than that. 
But we've been shaking our heads uh, at this suggestion for a while now, whether it's separating families, how people are treated at the border, um, you know, how they're described by our president. So we've seen a lot of examples of how what's supposed to be done hasn't been done. Hopefully this won't be uh, yet another. Greg Asbed, Gerardo Reyes Chavez, thank you for ringing the bell. You have an open line to me. You let me know how this progresses. You let me know what you do and don't hear from the state. We will follow up as well. We'll do that. Thank you, very thank much. you Chris. Chris. And, and, and take care of yourself I, and your can, family. Thank you. Thank if you very I can much. Just, uh, go ahead. Give me a if I can just say one, one more point. Uh, you know, we produce 90% of the fruits uh, of the tomatoes that are produced uh, nationwide. Uh, if we don't act right now, uh, and we, uh, tomatoes is not the only thing that we produce. We produce everything. Uh, if we don't do something right now, we're going to see how a food crisis is going to unfold on top of the pandemic. And, and we don't need that right now. We need to act. So that's, that's the point that I wanted to make. You, you are right. It shouldn't come down to selfish motives. It should be about humanity. But if humanity is not enough, think about your own belly. If these people get sick and they can't do the job, we're going to see disruptions in the food chain. It shouldn't be about, sure. you know, avarice. It should be about humanity. It shouldn't if be. If you need another incentive, there it is. Gentlemen, I got to jump. Thank you. Thank you, my brothers and sisters, for watching. Two hours? I feel all right. I think I may eat something. Stay tuned. The news is going to continue here on CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.